And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, so you can turn there in your Bibles. And I do just want to mention that uh, Patsy finished her radiation this week, which is a great blessing. And uh, several people got to go down and see her ring the bell, and then we saw her ring the bell again because it wasn't caught on video the first time. You've got to have video proof of that stuff. And so just a, a great blessing there. And uh, we have a lot to cover this morning, and I know taking time to talk about the elders and deacons took time out of our, our time um, that we have in totality. And so I'm going to ask that you listen fast. Can you guys do that? Listen fast. I'm going to try to talk fast, and uh, we're going to plow our way through this passage. Um, and uh, last night, well, most of this message was written two weeks ago, and then I preached something different last week. Last night, I'm thinking, man, I should really break this up. And I said, I can't. I can't do it. And so we're going to jump right in. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together. God, we ask this morning um, that you would calm our hearts, help us to not be distracted, um, but help us to be focused. God, I pray as we look to your word that your word would do the work through your spirit. God, I know that I'm, I'm just a man. I can't change hearts, but God, you can. I pray this morning that you would do just that. We've, we promise, God, to give you the praise and glory for what you do in this place today. We do ask if there's any here who have never trusted Christ, that they would understand through this passage that it's not about what they do, but it's about what Christ has done. God, work in their hearts. Bring them to yourself. We thank you again. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. What day in history seems to stand out in your mind? As I say that, your mind is probably rushing or racing to think about the one thing. And if you're thinking for that one thing, what are you finding? Hey, there's actually a lot of things that stick out in my mind. There's a lot of things that come to my memory as, as these thoughts come flooding back to you. We could talk about big events such as 9-11. Probably all of us in this room, unless they're babies who are making baby sounds, remember where you were on that day. You remember the emotions that came flooding through you. I guess there are some kids that probably weren't alive here at that time as well. Please don't start making baby sounds. Um, you remember those thoughts that are, are, are flooding through your mind. You remember the emotions that you experienced in that day. Maybe for some, it was the moon landing, if that even really happened. I mean, right? <laughs> Anyways, there are many thoughts. Many things come rushing into our mind as we think about a day to remember. We could probably talk about personal stories, maybe graduating high school or college, the, the day you got married or the day you held your baby for the first time. Certainly there would be many more days that would stick out in our minds if we thought long enough. Some with good memories that we enjoy thinking through. And yet some with difficult or painful memories that cause you to relive a hardship, even if only for a short time. The memory is an interesting thing. As the disciples walked with Jesus, no doubt this was one of the things they thought back on. The things that Jesus did, the words that he spoke, the way that he acted, it caused them to see a different side of Jesus, one that didn't come out often, but one that showed how seriously he took his life and how he called others to live in that very same way. The big idea this morning is simply this. In this passage, Christ is passionately calling his followers to recognize the difference between genuine and hypocritical Christianity. As followers of Christ, may we be passionate to see genuine faith produce genuine fruit in our lives. So we're going to walk through the passage quickly, and then I just want to pull out two things that hopefully will be a help to us as we think about this idea of genuine 
Christianity. In verse number 12, we pick the story up where we left off last time. If you remember, Jesus had made his way to Jerusalem. He had ridden on the the colt. It was the triumphal entry. People were praising him, saying, Hosanna, save now, lifting up their voices while fully not understanding who he was and what he was actually doing. When he gets to Jerusalem, the Bible says in verse 11, as we saw, that he comes into the temple and he looks around upon all things and then he leaves the temple and likely heads back to Bethany where he was staying with most likely some of his very good friends. Well, in verse number 12, we pick up the story and it says, on the morrow, so the, the morning after he had viewed the temple, the morning after he had ridden into Jerusalem, the morning after he had viewed the temple, he was coming in uh, from Bethany again into Jerusalem and the Bible says he was... Hungry. Now, this is an interesting point that Mark points out to us. And what is he doing? He's relaying to us again this idea that Jesus was a man. Though he was God in the flesh, though he was divine, though he was eternal, when he came to this earth, he felt and experienced the very things that we feel and experience. And friend, that is good news. Why? Because we have a Savior who understands what it's like to be a human. And so this isn't something we should simply overlook, but it's something we should think on and thank God for, that God made his son to be human so that he knew what it would be like to live a human life. And if he faces emotions or feelings like hunger, then what do we think he felt when he went to the cross? Everything. Every emotion that we would have experienced on that day is an emotion that our Savior experienced as he followed through with the plan of God. I'm thankful that our Savior is able to have sympathy for us. Not just saying, man, I wish I knew how you feel, but he can say with great confidence, I know how you feel because he's been where we are. So Jesus is hungry. He's making his way from Bethany to Jerusalem and he's hungry. In verse 13, the Bible says that he sees a fig tree afar off and that, I just went to try to scroll up on my Bible. It doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> he sees a fig tree afar off, and he came to it with joy in his heart because he's thinking, hey, this tree is going to have some fruit on it. I'm hungry. Fruit takes care of hunger. And so he makes his way up to the tree. And the reason he thought the tree would have fruit was because the leaves were in full bloom. Now, fig trees are a little bit different than other trees in that they produce their fruit and then the leaf comes. And so if you're looking at a fig tree and you see leaves on a fig tree, what can you rightly and safely assume? There should be figs there. So Jesus, as he saw the fig tree in a distance, he got excited. He said, hey, there's some food for us to eat. And he goes up to the fig tree and he was happy and he was thinking that he was going to fill his belly. But when he got there, he found that there was nothing on the fig tree yet. Have you ever been disappointed like that before? You get to a place where you know they make the best whatever. You go to the counter and you're like, I'll take one of these. And they're like, ah, oh, we're fresh out. Disappointed, right? Well, as Christ made his way to the fig tree on that day, he was disappointed. He was hungry. He had a need. He saw what should have produced fruit for him, and yet there was no fruit there. So what does he do? Well, a normal person would just say, well, I'm going to go find another fig tree. But what does Jesus do? He curses the fig tree. He doesn't curse at it. He puts a curse on it. 
He says, from this point forward, no person will ever eat any fruit from you, fig tree. Now, is Jesus overreacting? Like, we know hungry and we know hangry, right? It seems like Jesus may have been on the side of hangry in this moment. A little overreaction, we would be prone to say, but Christ is going to use this fig tree to set up an amazing picture of what was happening in Jerusalem and in the temple and in those who claim to follow him. And so as the disciples are seeing this take place, they're like, what in the world is wrong with Jesus? But what have we said through the whole gospel of Mark? That everything that Jesus did was intentional. Every word he spoke was purposeful. And we're, we're shown that here because at the end of verse 14, what does Mark point out to us? Jesus said that no man is going to eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. The disciples caught it. They, they caught the interaction of Jesus with this fig tree. Though they didn't understand it, they caught it. And we're going to see that they hung on to it because it comes back around in a few verses uh, in, in this chapter. As we continue on, the Bible says that they went from the fig tree and they come to Jerusalem and they come to the temple and Jesus was likely still hungry, and the disciples are likely thinking, man, we got to get this guy some food, because the way he's acting now is just absurd. Jesus walks into the temple, and what does he do? He starts throwing over the tables of the money changers, and he knocks over the chairs of those who sold the doves. Jesus cleansed the temple as he walked in and saw these things taking place in these places that they should not have been taking place. He sees what, what is before him, and he's disgusted. He sees what's before him, and he recognizes immediately that this is a disgrace to the design that God had established for temple worship. Now, we understand we live in a different day and age. We don't go to the temple like the good Jews did, or even the Gentiles who had been converted to faith in Christ, to faith in God. We don't understand fully the picture that is being painted here, but understand, those who were there on that day would have understood that what Jesus was doing was a big deal. For somebody to come into the temple and begin throwing over the tables and casting people out, we understand that in other places, he cast them out with a whip. Like, this is serious Jesus. And the disciples probably are taking it all in, not really understanding what is going on, but they don't say a word. In verse 16, the Bible says that he continued on that he would not suffer any man that he should carry any vessel through the temple. Now, this sounds like a Pharisee, doesn't it? It seems like what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus when the disciples were walking by the wheat field and they grabbed some wheat because they were hungry. It seems like the Pharisees, when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day, it seemed like the Pharisees, when they called Jesus out, for, for doing things that they did not approve of. But you want to know the great difference? The great difference is that Jesus was God and the Pharisees were men. The Pharisees were not holding up only God's laws. They were holding up things that they had made as laws. Whereas Jesus was calling people's attention to understand that, hey, what is going on here is a serious offense, not to me, but to a holy and just God. So Jesus said it's not going to happen. What's up with the money changers? What's up with those who are selling doves? Well, none of this is necessarily wrong. People that were not Jewish, who did not live in Jerusalem, who came from other places, they didn't always have Jewish money with them. 
And if they were coming to do sacrifices, certainly it's going to be hard to bring a goat or a sheep or a dove from many miles away, right? And so the law allowed them to set these places up so that the people could meet the demands of the law to perform their sacrifices. But what was wrong here? Well, what was wrong is, is where these things were taking place. They were in, most assumed, the court of the Gentiles. Well, what was the court of the Gentiles? The court of the Gentiles was the place that the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish by birth, would come in and they would worship and they would pray and they would sacrifice to God. And what's going on here? It's like a market. Imagine if St. Albans Farmer's Market came in here on a Sunday morning when we're trying to have church and there's people going back and forth, to and from, trying to buy and sell different things and Dave's up here trying to lead music and I'm up here trying to preach. It would be chaos and nobody would benefit anything by way of spirituality. People were benefiting by making money for themselves, but nobody was benefiting spiritually. They had, they had disgraced what God had set up. And so Jesus goes in and he casts over those tables. And imagine the people scurrying on the floor to try to find that money. He tips over the, the chairs of those who sold doves. I find that very significant, that he didn't tip over the tables with the doves on them. Why? He might hurt the doves. So what does he do? He tips over the chairs of those who were selling doves to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong here. Jesus was showing his mission. He was showing his heart. He was showing in an emotional way that what these people were doing was wrong. He goes on verse 17 and teaches them and says, you have made this place that was supposed to be called a house of prayer by the nations, you have made it a den of thieves. Certainly the money changers and those who were selling the animals for sacrifices were making a higher profit than normal, which was wrong. Greed was driving or fueling them to serve in this way. And so who were they really serving? Not God, but they were serving themselves. When the scribes and the Pharisees hear this in verse 18, they sought again how they might destroy him. Now this was not a new desire in the scribes and the Pharisees. We saw all the way back in the beginning of Mark, when Jesus began to do his first miracles, that these people had it out for him. Early on in his ministry, they said, hey, we've got to get rid of this guy. And now Jesus has only fueled their fire in an even greater way. But why were they so upset? Because once again, the people were looking to Christ and not to them. The people weren't looking for, to, for, to them to be a, a, a final ruling in this scenario. They looked at what Christ did and say, hey, there's something different about this guy. They were fearful. They were fearful for their position. They were fearful for their status. They were fearful because of the doctrine of Jesus. And after all this takes place, the Bible says in verse 19 that when even was come, he went out of the city. Now, let's put together a timeline. When they came to the fig tree, it was morning. It was about a two-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem. And now in verse 19, it's evening. And so this whole idea of the cleansing of the temple, we think of it as a very fast-paced, quick thing where Jesus was in and out. But the reality is Jesus went in and he stayed in for a long time and he taught the people. He didn't just blow up and, and say, have people say, wow, look how crazy he is. But he stayed there with the people. Why? To get them on the right path, to show them the truth, to show them in the way that they should walk. Well, the next morning they had made it back to Bethany, and the next morning uh, they come to this fig tree again, 
and it was dried up from its roots, verse 20 tells us. And Peter, big mouth Peter, he calls to remembrance and says unto him, to Jesus, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Now, what did we learn in the end of verse number 14? That the disciples heard everything that took place there. There was probably a little bit of anticipation in them as they approached the fig tree thinking, hey, what's this going to look like? And they show up to where the fig tree is, and Peter's the first to say, hey, Jesus, look, that fig tree that you said nobody was going to eat from ever again, not only is it not bearing fruit, but it's withered up from the roots to the top of the tree. Now, in our culture, in our, our world, when we see a tree dying, where do we notice it first? The top. When we built, we had these two maple trees in our front yard, and um, as being good stewards, when we had a lot of scrap material, we threw it in the front yard and we lit a fire. Um, I like fire, so I'm being a good steward of the scrap material that God has given me. Well, we burned a lot of stuff out there, like a lot, a lot. of. I thought I was going to get in trouble one day, but I didn't, thankfully. And uh, the next, so we moved in in January. Things seemed fine. Tree was a little darker than normal. Spring came around, and the tree all the way to the left blossomed. It was beautiful, beautiful maple tree, nice, beautiful, lush leaves. This other tree, like, we destroyed the thing. Like, and where did we notice it? Up top. The, the, the branches started to decay, they started to fall off, and I'm thinking, man, a few minutes to move the stuff over there and this would have never happened. But in my laziness, I ruined a tree. Thankfully, you'll be happy to know the tree survived and is doing better than ever, but guess what? This tree did not survive. When Jesus cursed this fig tree, understand the, the words of Christ have power not just over human nature, but all nature. And let's just let this be a reminder to us that there is no mother nature. God is in control of all things. God is in control of everything that exists. He causes the sun to rise and the sun to set. This is why Christ, as God, could get on a cult that had never been ridden. And guess what that cult did? It carried him to where he wanted to go. And this is why when Jesus spoke a curse over the fig tree, the fig tree withered up and died. Well, Peter says, Jesus, look at the tree. Look at this tree. It, it's, it's destroyed. Like, Jesus, you are one powerful God. And what does Jesus say? Well, Peter, let me tell you about fig trees. Well, Peter, let me explain to you why the fig tree was cursed in the way that it was cursed. Well, Peter, let me tell you all of these things. No, Jesus says one of the most confusing things in an interaction with Jesus at this point. Peter says, Jesus, look at the fig tree. And what does Jesus say? Peter, have faith in God. Okay, like we've seen hangry Jesus. Now we see delusional Jesus, right? Like what does have faith in God have to do with a fig tree? And Jesus goes on in verse number 21 and he starts talking about what that faith looks like. Who, whoever has true and genuine and pure faith can say to this mountain, be removed and it will be cast into the sea as long as he believes in his heart and it is according to God's will. Whatever you ask, you're going to get. In verse 24, he says, whatever thing you so desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. In verse 25, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. 
And then he ends with another bizarre statement when talking about a fig tree. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. What does this have to do with anything? Be honest, when I read the passage, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, right? Like, we got a curse, we got a cleansing, and we've got Jesus teaching about having faith in God. We've got Jesus who is filled with righteous anger, and then we have Jesus who seems to be thinking in a totally different direction as he's teaching his disciples about what it means to truly live a life of faith. And as we understand what is going on here, I, I think by the end, hopefully at least, we'll see the connection that is there because what was Jesus doing? He was going to Jerusalem. His time was coming to an end. He made his way to the temple. And what did he do when he got there? He revealed the hypocrisy that was taking place in this place that God had established as a, as a, a place of worship. What does that have to do with a fig tree? Well, what was the fig tree? It was a representation of that hypocrisy. The fig tree is saying, hey, I'm in full bloom. Isn't that why Jesus went there in the first place? Because he saw the leaves and he was hoping that there was going to be food there to fill his belly. And what did he find when he got there? That the tree had produced no fruit. And what did Jesus find when he came to Jerusalem? That these people... His people were living in religious hypocrisy. And even though they were doing all the right things, and even though they made it look really good from the outside, when Jesus got there, he found nothing. And so what does he do? In the end of the passage, he goes on to teach what true Christianity looks like. And so just two things this morning, and then we'll be done. First off, Christ is calling us away from counterfeit Christianity. Christ is calling us away from counterfeit Christianity. As they walk down the road, Christ sees this tree and he rightly expects to see fruit, but he goes up and there's nothing there. Disappointed, he curses the tree so that it would never produce fruit again. And at first glance, as we said, this seems like angry Jesus, but there's more to the story. There's more that we need to understand, not just about what was going on in Jerusalem, but about what so often goes on in our own lives. Jesus, as he made his way to the fig tree, saw the hypocrisy. As Jesus made his way to the temple, he saw the hypocrisy. And I would dare say, friends, that there are times in our lives when God examines our hearts, and what does he find? hypocrisy. We know the words to say. We know the songs to sing. We can raise our hand at the right moment. We can put our offering in the plate. And yet so often our hearts are so far from God. And that's exactly what was taking place in the temple. Jerusalem had been filled with people. Three times the normal amount were there because they were coming for the Passover. They were doing their religious duties. They were fulfilling their religious obligations. And when Jesus walked in and he saw what was taking place there, though not all fit this, most did. Jesus says, what is going on here is nothing more than a, than a show. What is going on here is nothing more than a religious parade. And it started with the top and it made its way down. Did we not see when we studied, studied the book of Malachi that God had a lot to say towards the priests that were in the temple. 
And what were they doing? They were living a charade. They were making it look good. They were using the sacrifices for their own benefit. They were striving to get personal gain instead of living lives of true worship. And when that was taking place in the lives of the priest, what did we say happened to the people? The people came in and instead of giving their best, they looked through their flock and they said, I'll take my worst. Instead of giving what God desires, I'm going to give what's convenient. Instead of giving what I know God deserves, I'm going to take what I don't even like, what I wouldn't even use for myself and give it to him. And so this was happening with the priests. We understand the priests were influenced heavily by the Roman government who had invaded at this time. They were influenced politically. They were influenced financially. They wanted to keep their position. They wanted to fill their role. And so they did what they did, what they could do within their means to, to follow the law as close as they could while also meeting the demands of a corrupt government, which then in turn made them corrupt themselves. As the merchants were set up buying and selling, as the people would come in with their funds, it was probably almost this idea of, all right, let's go get this thing over with and let's move on to other things. And yet when Christ came in, he set things straight. When Christ came in, he made a mess, some would say. But isn't it true that sometimes in order to set things right, you have to make a mess? So Christ came in with a righteous indignation, angry and upset over all that was taking place in the temple. And he calls the people out. He said, this place was to be called a house of prayer by all nations, and yet you have made it a den of thieves. And what a word that was to speak over those who were in charge on that day. And what is it that Jesus is doing? He's calling us away from hypocritical or counterfeit Christianity. I'm sure as most walked into Jerusalem on that day, they thought, wow, look at this place, buzzing with people, busier than ever before. People seemingly had smiles on their faces, people seemingly doing the right things, and yet when Christ walked in, he saw the exact opposite. He didn't say, wow, look at the crowds of people. He said, wow, look at the shame that these people are causing to come upon the temple that God has established. And so he walks in and he cleanses the temple and in doing so, he calls the people away from the lies they have been living to live for him in truth. And we can look at this passage on this day. We understand the fig tree, right? It should have had fruit, it didn't. Jesus cursed it. We can understand the temple. Jesus walked in. True worship should have been going on, but it wasn't. And so Jesus cleansed it. But maybe... Maybe the focus of our hearts and minds actually needs to turn into our own lives to say, where am I playing the part? Where am I making it look like I'm a good Christian and yet my, my life is in shambles? Where am I praising God in public and then cursing God in private? Where am I saying, I have faith in God and yet in the corners of my heart, and the things that are really difficult, I find myself doubting God and what he's going to do and his goodness towards me, and maybe even to the point if he even exists. You see, friend, all of that is hypocritical. When we hold a standard for another person, what is that? It's hypocritical. 
When we walk a line to keep up appearances, what is that? It's hypocritical. When we, when we put on a facade so that others think highly of us, what is that? It's hypocritical because God knows our hearts. We used to have a joke in college that whoever hold their, held their Bible the highest in their armpit was the most spiritual. And guess what? That's how much of Christianity operates today. That if we can make it look good, then the rest doesn't really matter. But you know what Christ would say? That's hypocritical. He doesn't want us to walk in hypocrisy. He wants us to walk in genuine faith. And so as he comes to the fig tree and as he comes to the temple, he calls true believers away from that which is hypocritical and he calls them to that which is genuine. The second thing this morning is that Christ calls us to genuine Christianity. This interaction, again, is, is confusing. It seems a little bizarre. But when you really lay into it, it's beautiful. Amen. It's beautiful. Christ curses the fig tree and says, Never again, forever, is anyone going to eat fruit from you. He goes to the temple and he says, This is a disgrace to my Father who is in heaven. The way he established things in the priesthood and for the people so that they could be brought close to God has been made nothing more than a charade. This is disgraceful. As Peter sees the fig tree, he's like, Jesus, what's up with the fig tree? Peter looks at, or Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, have faith in God. Have faith in God, Peter. Have deep and genuine and pure faith in the one God who was and is and always will be. He says, Peter, pray. Pray prayers of faith. Pray believing that God can do the miraculous and the incredible and the unthinkable. Have faith in God, Peter, and let that faith be lived out in the way that you live your lives in regards to prayer. And we like the first two. Oh, I can have faith in God, or at least I can say it. I can pray prayers of faith. God, do this. God, do that. But then what does Jesus say? He says, forgive. Why? Because forgiveness is one of the most crucial parts of our Christian life that we often ignore. And it's on forgiveness that everything hinges. Why did Christ come to begin with? So that mankind could be forgiven. So that mankind could be reconciled back to a holy and just God so that mankind could have their slate washed clean so that they could be in God's presence. And so God, I'm sorry, Christ, as he's looking at Peter, says, Peter, have faith in God. Follow him, cling to him, believe in him, run to him. Faith is not simply this idea of, of saving faith, but understand faith is every part of our Christian life. What does the Bible say? The just shall live by faith. Faith, believing in God. Have faith in God, Peter. And then pray in faith that God would do big things. Jesus tells us in John 14 that if we ask anything in his name, what's he going to do? He's going to do it. Now, does this a blanket statement in Mark 11 saying, hey, Jesus says I can get whatever I want as long as I pray? No. It is selfish. 
We've got to pray according to his will. We can pray big prayers to a big God, and guess what? Sometimes he does very big things. Why? Because he's a big God who is able to do more than we can ever imagine. But sometimes in our prayer of faith, when we surrender to his will, God withholds big things. Why? Because he's a big God who has a big plan, and we're a small part of it. So he says, have faith in God. He says, pray in faith. And then he says, forgive. Friend, you may be here today, and you can say, man, I I have faith in God. I really do. Continue in that faith. Continue looking to him as the only one who is worthy of your faith. Continue looking to him in the trials and in the victories, in the storms, and when everything is calm, saying, God, whatever, whenever, wherever, I'm going to follow you. I want to follow you. I want you to be everything to me in my life, that if everything else is stripped away, God, it's okay, because I still have faith in you. Continue in that faith. Continued faith is a, is a proof of initial faith. That when we continue walking in faith, what does it prove? That we even had faith to begin with by way of salvation. So Jesus, knowing what was coming in Peter's day, didn't want him to be leavened with the leaven of the Pharisees. He didn't want him to do what was easy, though Peter did take the easy way out when he denied Christ. He wanted him to continue in faith because faith is key. So have faith in God. This is genuine faith. Christianity. This is genuine belief in Christ, that we continue by faith. Then he says, pray in faith. Pray that God would do big things. It's funny if we examine our prayer lives, lots of times we only pray, and I think this this speaks to the shallowness of our prayer lives at times, we only pray for the things that we can already provide for ourselves. God, thank you for this food. Well, have you ever been guilty of thinking that you provided that food for yourself? Probably we all have. We have a job, right? So we, we, we pray for the little things, but here Christ is saying, hey, pray for the big things. Who has a mountain in their life that needs to be cast into the sea? Jesus says if you pray in faith, believing, then that can happen. That thing that is is insurmountable to you, that thing that that seems like there's no way around it, God can remove it and he can destroy it, but he can also repurpose it. That thing that you once thought was an obstacle to you may actually, in reality, be a blessing to you. God does things in ways that we don't understand. Pray in faith, and then he says, forgive. I want to ask you this morning, who do you need to forgive? And the people that I've sat with in any sort of counseling, do you know what a lot of what they struggle with stems back to? The area of unforgiveness. A seed of bitterness from a word somebody said. A seed of bitterness because somebody did something to them and from their perspective it changed the course of their lives. A seed of bitterness because somebody was unkind or maybe somebody just didn't acknowledge you. A seed of bitterness because of hurt. Guess what? 
Christ is not saying that your hurt is not real. What's he saying? That through forgiveness, God helps you get over your hurt. And so forgive. We've all been hurt. Let's, let's be honest. Like if we were to lay our cards on the table, probably some of us in this room would have a hard time sharing the ways that we have been hurt in our past. I get it. Life is hard. But what does Christ say? He says, forgive. And there's no caveat. There, there's no forgive unless X, Y, and Z has happened. He simply says, forgive. And why does he say forgive? Because you have been forgiven. And a heart that understands forgiveness is able to forgive. But a heart that doesn't understand the forgiveness of God towards me or towards you is going to be the heart that holds on to things instead of letting go of them. Forgiveness is a sign, friend, that even if the situation isn't resolved, that you've given the situation to God. So where do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? Because in most cases, that thing that you're holding on to is only holding you back and nobody else. So will you forgive? That's genuine Christianity. I wish Jesus said more like go to church twice a week and give your offerings and sing loud and serve in the nursery and sign up for church cleaning. But isn't that what we have made Christianity? Nothing wrong with going to church, but they didn't have three to thrive, or what is it, four to flourish? They went went on the Sabbath day to worship the Lord. And every other day was to be a, a reflection in their lives of what they did on that day. The way they lived, the way they worked, the way they served, it all pointed back to the one they worshiped on that day. And so counterfeit Christianity, Jesus goes to the fig tree, it's got no figs. He goes to the temple, it's got no fruit, but they look good. And understand this, counterfeit Christianity is all about you looking good. Many people walk in hypocrisy in their Christian lives because they're too afraid to be honest about the things that they're actually struggling with. Many people live in defeat and failure because they're not willing to actually get the help that they need to bring them through the things that are plaguing them in their lives. So counterfeit Christianity is about you. It's about what you can do to keep up appearances in front of the people that you're trying to impress. But genuine Christianity is all about resting in what Christ has done for you and allowing the Spirit of God to work through you through everything that you face. Genuine Christianity admits its failures and its shortcomings not to rejoice in them, but to seek accountability in forsaking them. And so I would ask us this morning, church, are we genuine Christians or are we counterfeit Christians? Nobody knows that I'm a, I was going to do this this morning, but Dave French, if you'd come up here. Bruce, if you'd come up here. And Matt, if you'd come up here. Dave, you stand down on this, this end. Dave actually played right into this really well this morning. Um, <laughs> If you haven't noticed, he's got his slippers on. The man forgot to put (laughs) shoes on today. He's got slippers on. Matt, you come down here. Bruce, you're standing right here, and I'll stand over here. A bunch of people walked in today and said, why are you wearing a suit? I said, because there's a reason, and, and this is the reason. From a religious perspective, from the crowd looking up, 
how would you rank people? Don't say a word. Not knowing us, just taking in the appearance that's here. How would you rank us? Like I said, Dave played into this really well. <laughs> He's got his jeans and his slippers on, coming to church. Do you know there are some churches that if Dave walked in like that, they would say, you can't come in here like that. You've got to go change, man. You, you, like, we're seriously not going to let you in the doors unless you go change. Then you have Matt. You know, he's a step up from Dave. <laughs> he's got nicer shoes. He's got nicer pants. I think I like Dave's shirt a little better, but people will look at that and say, well, well at least he tried, right? <laughs> and then you got Bruce. You've got a tie on, right? People will look at that and say, you know, he, he believes. He's, he's, he's not there yet, but he's getting there. And then you got me with a suit on who absolutely hates wearing this thing every minute that I've had it on today. And I'm thankful this is not our church, but there are many churches that this is the case, where they would look and say, man, that guy in the suit, he is super spiritual. And that guy in the tie, he's getting there. That guy in the shirt and, and dress pants, he's doing okay. That guy in the jeans, he doesn't even belong here. Many churches live that way. But you know what the reality is? The guy in the suit is oftentimes the guy whose mouth outside a church is full of profanity. His mind is gripped with lust. He's engaged in things that if they were mentioned in church, nobody would have anything to do with him. There would be no grace. And yet the guy at the other end of the line who's just trying to serve Jesus and love Jesus, he may not have it all together. <laughs> Certainly he doesn't. <laughs> but friends, there's a genuineness there that this doesn't replace. You know what Jesus says to the guy in the suit? who looks good, you're cursed. Your whole life is a show. It's a facade. And though you're keeping up appearances to those around you, God knows your heart. And yet the guy in the jeans, when he says, hey, Jesus, look at the fig tree. What does Jesus say? Peter, just have faith. Just pray bold prayers. Peter, just simply forgive. And you'll be a better display for your Father in heaven than that temple in Israel ever would have been. Am I saying that how we dress doesn't matter? No. I think it does. I think the Bible has guidelines for that stuff. But friend, and we could replace dress with anything, if all we're looking at is the external appearance, then we've missed the reality of who our God is. He's not a God that he's worshipped like idols with hands and, and things that we... He's worshipped from our heart. And what was Jesus trying to get across to his disciples? You guys can be seated. These guys that would follow him to the end, these guys 
that would be lost and lonely. What's he trying to get across to them? Guys, just keep it real. Just be genuine in your faith and let God take care of the fruit. We don't produce fruit anyways. God produces the fruit through us. And when does he produce that fruit? When we stay attached to the vine. When we stay attached to him. When we stay attached to the one whom life flows from. Not just physical life as we think about it, but true spiritual life. You, you want to go and try to fake this Christianity? By, by, by all means, friend, try it. And you know what you'll find? Frustration. You'll play the game of comparison, only thinking you're doing better because you look better than somebody else. You'll feel a void that nothing fills. Oh, but friend, when you're genuine, you won't look for anything else. Why? Because in Christ you have it all. And so this was a day to remember. <laughs> Disciples saw a lot. They saw Jesus curse a tree. Tree withered up and died. They see Jesus, saw Jesus cleanse the temple. They were probably a little afraid when that was going on. Probably Peter was like, yeah, I'll get it on this too, right? And Jesus looks at Peter, settle down. <laughs> and then they go have this intimate conversation around a fig tree. And he leaves them with these simple things. Have faith in God. Have faith that will move mountains. And Peter, forgive. As Peter went on, we understand that he denied Christ three times. Shamed, he ran and wept bitterly. He went out fishing. As he's fishing, he sees somebody on the shore. And who does he see? His loving and compassionate and faithful, forgiving friend named Jesus. And while the Pharisees and scribes are saying, hey, look at us. And when the crowds start to dissipate, because of Jesus, they get angry and they want to kill him. And yet Christ never once says, hey, look at me. But when we look to him, friend, we find we have all that we need. And so genuine Christianity. It's all about Christ. And I would ask you this morning, where is your focus? You can breathe easy. Next week I'll show up in my probably untucked dress shirt dress pants. But you know the same is true for that, that if I'm doing that to keep up appearances, then it's wrong. Friend, just be the you that God has made you to be. Be the you that he is shaping you to become. And guess what? You will find that God receives the glory from your life each and every time. Be genuine. I'm thankful that we don't have one of those churches that judges people based on their appearances. If not, if we did, Matt would have never made it in. <laughs> I'm thankful for the genuineness here. And friend, 
may we pray that that genuineness continues through us. Because you know what it takes? All it takes is one person. One bad apple spoils a whole bunch. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All it takes is a seed to creep in. Maybe that seed is a lack of faith. Maybe that seed is unforgiveness. And guess what happens? Before you know it, the beautiful thing that God has established begins to crumble until it's nothing but a pile of ashes. May that not be us. God, we ask you this morning as we've looked to your word that you would grant us wisdom and discernment that you would give us pure desires, God, to follow you by faith. God, I'm thankful that this, this thing of Christianity is not a factory where, where you are just stamping out one after another to look exactly the same, to do the same thing in the same way. But God, you've given us personality, and we see that all throughout your word. God, you've made us as individuals. And I pray that we would individually serve and worship you. God, where the scripture commands something, may we fall in line to that with a heart of love, not a heart of obligation. But God, where you give us grace, may we also give grace to those around us. God, help us. Help us to just simply love you. For in loving you appropriately, everything else will fall into place. We thank you, God, for all you do. Be with us now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, friend, as we sing, understand it's not about what you can do. It's about what he has done. And I'd love to show you through the word of God how you can be saved. If you're a believer here today, would you examine your own heart in the area of faith in God, in the area of praying and living out that faith, in the area of forgiveness. And if God speaks to you in any of those things, May we strive to take care of him for his glory and our good.